1: Live in Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity helps over 2 million medical professionals. We are the largest medical network that includes over 80% of physicians and over 50% of physician assistants and nurse practitioners. We don't take that responsibility lightly and committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. If you want to learn more about Doximity, check out your app store, at D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. That's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And listen... I struggle, I've, I've historically struggled with the concept of patriarchy like I've been getting into it and like really seeking to understand it as like conceptually and then also my place and role in it as a as a black man for the past few years really I think living corporate has opened my eyes to understand like just the dynamics and like the intersectionality of race and gender as it pertains to like power dynamics and just like culture. And so it's hard for me historically to like grasp or accept the idea that white women don't have all the privileges I have or that I have any advantages over a white woman. But the reality of patriarchy is that while I certainly don't have the same benefits as a white man or a more white adjacent man has, uh, I certainly as a man participate in the patriarchy and benefit from it in ways that white women simply do not. At the same time, one could argue that white women benefit and certainly engage in the patriarchy in ways that I do not. But the point is, is that I think the conversation around like patriarchy, like and just, for those who don't know patriarchy, ultimately just the concept that that men are in charge and are by default and design the authority in this country and culture and in, in every in every aspect of uh, culture that men are the default and that women are seen as the weaker, the um, and frankly, women are seen as uh, lesser to be dominated. Right. Like there's a bunch we can like go into, you know, like various definitions of uh, the patriarchy. But the point is, is that, you know, I very much so appreciate Conversations that really seek to engage that and um, and really, again, like engage how black men um, it played a role in it, especially as it pertains to how we create harm, um, disinclusion and outright malice for black women, especially black trans women, but black women across the board. Um, And I I say all this, I give all this intro to say i'm really thankful for frederick joseph frederick and i um we connected some years ago at a twitter event shout out goddess and i just really appreciate like all of his work his voice um, and the work that he's doing in the book that he wrote patriarchy blues um, and then we talk about it in our interview uh, here that you're going to hear in a moment but i really want to shout out fred because There are very few people in this space, right, in this like media slash influencer slash thought leader space that you get authentic vibes from. Like most folks are here for, you know, to get put on. They're here for a look. They're here for a check. And Fred is just a nice guy, man. He's just an authentic, nice guy. Right. And like I um, there's not a lot of people like that. You know, like in my experience, sadly to say, like, it's true. Like, there's just not a lot of people like that. So I want to shout out Fred. I'm really excited about the conversation y'all are going to hear in a minute. Before we do that, though, got to pay some bills. So we'll be right back. <laughs> this episode of Living Corporate is brought to you by Blind. Blind is a trusted community of more than 5 million verified professionals. On Blind, professionals connect and have honest discussions about salaries and what it's really like to work at or interview with a company. You can also join your private company channel to have a candid and safe conversation with your coworkers about what's really going on. And because it's anonymous, you can be honest and trust what you read. Check out teamblind.com to get the latest insights and the answers to your workplace questions. When you're building a culture of belonging, every word counts. That's why Textio brings the world's most advanced language insights into your hiring and employer brand content. Our industry-leading approach to artificial intelligence and machine learning provides the tools needed to find more diverse candidates. In short, Textio builds more equitable workspaces, guiding businesses and writing more inclusive job posts. And we're building on that success by bringing even more products to the market for all people who share our belief that language matters. Words have power. at textio we harness that power to increase the access and availability of value-driven work for everyone
2: what's going on living corporate it's tristan and i want to thank you for tapping back in with me as i provide some tips and advice for professionals today let's discuss how you can more effectively search for jobs on linkedin When applying online, there are so many factors that play into being seen by employers. LinkedIn has some great filter and sorting options that can help you narrow down your results and even potentially increase your odds of being seen. I'm not gonna talk about standard filters like location or company, but some that you may not have even known existed. The first filter is date posted. We know that the sooner you get your application in, the higher the likelihood of the recruiter or hiring manager reviewing it. By default, your job search results will show results from any time, but you can use this filter to only display jobs posted within the last 24 hours, the past week, or the past month. The second filter is under 10 applicants. The average job posting gets anywhere from 150 to 250 applicants. So if you can be one of the first people to get your application in, you're more likely to be considered for the role. The third filter is in your network. We know the best way to land jobs is through networking and referrals. By using this filter, you'll only bring up jobs where you have a connection. You can then reach out to that connection for an informational interview or even a referral, depending on your relationship with them. The last four filters I'm going to discuss together because I think they can work well in tandem and they are experience level, job type, industry and job function. You can filter your job search by specific levels of experience, job industry, particular skills, or even by full-time, part-time contract and more. Suppose you're trying to move into a senior level leadership role, transition into a new industry, or just exploring what options are out there based on the skills or expertise you have. These settings can help you narrow down the possibilities. Lastly, don't forget to set up job alerts. You can create job alerts on linkedin to stay updated on new job postings that match your preferences you can choose to receive these alerts daily or weekly through the email app notifications or both start by searching for a job on linkedin at the top left of the job search results page switch the job alert toggle to on to create a job alert for that search criteria instead of spending hours searching for your ideal role Try using some of these filters and sorting options to cut down on your job search time. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn.
1: Live in Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity is committed to fostering an inclusive and diverse work environment where differences are valued, practices are equitable, and employees experience a sense of belonging that allows them to bring their full, authentic selves daily as medicine's largest network. There's an elevated level of responsibility to everything we do. We don't take that responsibility lightly and are committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. So if you want to learn more about Doximity, go to your app store and type in D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. Again, that's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. This episode of Living Corporate is brought to you by Blind. Blind is a trusted community of more than 5 million verified professionals from startups to some of the largest companies in the world like Amazon, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, Goldman Sachs, Google, JP Morgan, Meta, and more. Blind's mission of transparency seeks to break down professional barriers and silos at work so that you can make productive change and advance your career. It's a safe space to ask questions and get the real-time insights and perspectives from people who know what you've been through. On Blind, you can connect and have honest discussions about everything from compensation, company culture, performance reviews, promotions, and more. You can also join your exclusive private company channel to chat with your coworkers about company policies and what's really going on at work. And because it's anonymous, you can be honest and trust what you read on Blind. Download and install Blind from the App Store or visit teamblind.com to get access to the latest salary, company reviews, and interview experiences. Thousands of companies worldwide. Fred, what's going on, man? Zach, what's good, baby? How's everything, what's, man? Man, life is crazy. We was talking off mic about just how time was moving on last time we connected. You know, we had connected. Well, I think we were already kind of, we were already kind of like talking on Twitter a little bit, being yeah. or whatever. But then, like, yeah. we really started talking after. The um the an event we won't even get into the details. It was a very funny. It was very funny to me. Let let me just say that. Like, well, you know, what I'm saying for people who were there, you know what I'm talking about. If not, it's cool. It's it's not really hyper germane to anything we're talking about today. But what I'm really excited about, uh-huh. man, is to connect about your book, man, Patriarchy Blues. Like Patriarchy Blues, reflection on manhood. It's interesting. Like we talk a lot about uh, these systems, uh, and I recognize that, like, black men writing on uh manhood and and, and and patriarchy like conceptually or systematically is not a it's not a, a foreign thing or a new thing like it would be arrogant to say you know this we've, we've never seen this before however i believe in this era like there are a ton of spaces really like unpacking uh the intersectionality of black masculinity patriarchy masculinity as a concept especially within like like um like a colonized context i'd love just to hear more about like what inspired you to write this book
0: yeah i mean for me I, I well first and foremost you're a thousand percent right and i would never i would never fancy myself to be someone who's like inventing a space who's the first one to have stations, right like i spend on the shoulders of, of, you know, the, the 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 Alice Walker's on the shoulders of Bell Hooks on the shoulders of Baldwin and and so on and so forth, right? And and just these concepts. But I do think contemporarily we're not having enough of the conversations. And I think we're not not only not having them, but even in, in Bell Hooks' works, you see how Bell Hooks became more intersectional as time went on, right? So we're definitely not having conversations in from an intersectional vantage point. Um, so, you know, this book came about, <laughs> quite frankly, um, <laughs> a little bit after that moment that you were talking about earlier, that people are not necessarily privy to. Um, you know, I was thinking about how we all play a role in being, in upholding and being complicit in, in these structures, whether we're talking about white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy. And when I thought about patriarchy, I'm like, man, we really don't be talking about this enough. You know, patriarchy is kind of framed through the lens of white feminism oftentimes, right? Like, oh, misogyny, sexism, men are doing this, so on and so forth. I'm like, man, but, but we really need to also be talking about transphobia, homophobia, toxic masculinity, um, and the ways in which those affect the black community um, as well, very specifically.
1: Well, it's interesting, like, to that end, um, I remember there was an article, I think it dropped on The Root years ago, and everybody went, went super left. They, it, the article, I think the title was Black Men are the White Women of Black People or something like that. Do you remember that the article?
0: White Women of Black People,
1: yep. I, I and, do, I. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, people were really upset, and, like, and, and I remember, and I mean, one, I... I didn't understand enough about it. And at that time, I just didn't, I didn't care like hard enough to like give it all the smoke that uh, folks on social media was giving it. But as I continued to just kind of like progress on and learn and grow by the grace of God is like, I know what what I take away from that. And just that the concept is like black men, we do, we participate and benefit from patriarchy. We don't benefit from it in the same degrees or context as white men do. And some, many could argue, I would certainly argue, even as white, some white, many white women do, but we still do participate and, and engage and frankly, invest in these systems and structures. Like, you know, I know within Patriarchy Blues, you talk, you know, you call some things out and you, you, you call some challenge, you challenge and name harms and and certain behaviors like talk to me about like your perspective on black the black male relationship with patriarchy and and why there likely needs to be i would say some divestment
0: yeah i mean there definitely needs to be divestment you know because things so one we are we are oftentimes paralleling and projecting what we've internalized for the last four hundred years, right? So a lot of a lot of Black men are are paralleling what they've seen, and been taught by white men, quite frankly, right? And like, and it, it doesn't absolve Black men, but it but it speaks truth to what's happening, right? Because I think white women do it all, oftentimes as well. Like a lot of my critique of white feminism is that white feminism um, is not interested in equity or equality is interested in um, which is consistent with what white men are interested in. And I think black men, cis black men specifically, do the same thing a lot of times, right? If you look at somebody, let's say a Kevin Samuels, or like other black men who, who have historically said things like, oh, we need to build up black men. We need to build up the black family. We need to do X, Y, and Z, but completely leave out the term they are causing, let's say black women or the black trans community, or the black uh, uh, homosexual community, right? How are you going to lift black people but not lift all black people, right? It doesn't make sense. You're showing me then, you're not. Your interest is not black people. Your interest is self, right? And I and I and I think that we have not had. These conversations, I, I think, in this in this nation, um, strategically, we as a people—and I don't just mean Black people—I mean we as a people in this nation, in America, have been taught that two things can't be true, and the opposite is completely true, right? Where you can cause harm and also be harmed, right? So as a Black man, yeah, every time I walk out my house, I think that might be the last time I ever see my loved ones again, right? And also every time certain people come into contact with me they have to assume the same thing right if a black trans woman comes into contact with a black cis man she might boom this might be my last interaction the last time i see my people and two things have been true for both of those right we have to make face with both of those or else we're not freeing anybody I, again i talk about that patriarchy blues it's like if shackles exist Even if they're not on you, they can be back on you at any moment. So it's not about getting the shackles off; it's about destroying the shackles.
1: Man, I yeah, and it's crazy because like I think and so I was reading. I've been I've been getting into Bell Hoods like the past like I'm gonna say like year or so. Um, But in one of her pieces, Mm -hmm. one of her pieces, she was talking about like she was really breaking down like she was uh, some analysis on really looking at from the time of King to now and like this push from liberation or looking at like liberation from a perspective of like self empowerment and like policy restructuring policies and systems and structures to really equivocating power um, or freedom with financial status or, or power um, and materialism Mm -hmm. and, and things of that nature. And so like, it's interesting because like I think so many of us like we're conditioned like when we look at some of the most prominent popular black voices, black male voices, a lot of them are talking about finance, right? You need to invest, like it's the money mm-hmm. that's going to get you free, um or it's the money that's going to get you a seat at this quote-unquote table with these other white folks, which then you'll mm-hmm. be seen as white, which then you'll be able to be free. And like I think like there's you know, there's so much just to unlearn. Um, I, I'm curious, though, like, you know, like we're in 2022. Gen Z um continues to be like this ever-growing group. That workforce is going to, that group is going to be taking over the workforce. We're looking at this whole new, this new political landscape unfurling in front of us. We're seeing uh, late-stage capitalism and a bunch of stuff collapse. Like, interesting, like, you know, as I look at just like these systems around us, like you talk about like our political system, you think about like our like our current economy. uh, I I just see instability like all over the place. I I see that. I just feel like we're at the end of something, right? I'm not saying the sky is falling per se, or that the world is about to end today, but I also, I'm looking, I'm just like, yo, I just don't talk to me about how sustainable do you really think patriarchy is as we just look at
0: like what's in front of us and what's around us. Well, I think that none of this is sustainable. Right. And I, you know, I think a lot of people see me as someone who's uh, constantly uh, beating a, a drum of doom, but we have to have honest conversations. You know, um, I, I happen to be someone who pays attention, you know, and 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 when you look at the focus that everyone has right now, it's very narcissistic is make your money for yourself, maybe for the people you have proximity to, like your immediate family and nothing else matters. Right. And that's and that's the last Step. That's the last step and end game of capitalism, right? It's 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 to make people so narcissistic that they destroy everything around them without a care in the world, right? What can all that money be spent on when our uh cities are flooded? What can all that money be spent on when like it's not about like you talk about like I'll give you an example? Um so I, I grew up in the projects, right? And I have worked to my bone i mean like to my absolute bone um to 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 make something of myself and to get to a point where i could consider like buying a house and stuff like that and i do well for myself but still not well enough in 2022 to buy the house that i could have bought in 2017 right had i had the money then right and it's not because oh um for some reason it's some weird algorithm that has increased home prices no it's because there are a small group of major capitalists who are hoarding wealth and leaning as hard as possible into the things that we're talking about and making it impossible for everybody else. So what does it matter that I've kept all this, um, I've saved all this money, third? I can't buy a home, right? I can't buy a right. home, I can't, I can't do certain things and I'm on the more privileged side of things. So again, none, not, a, not a single part of this is sustainable. People have bought into, in my opinion- the end game of white supremacy. And that is, you know, the, the the worst parts of capitalism, patriarchy, um, um, ableism, everything you could think of.
1: You know, when we talk about like just your own, your own journey, because you talk a little bit about it in Patriarchy Blues around just like your own learnings and experience. Like, what was like the biggest wake-up call for you around like, look, I need to, I, I, Frederick Joseph, Fred Joseph, I need to re-interrogate my position, um, my investment, my participation in in the patriarchy as I experienced it in America.
0: I, I think it was three things. So in Patriarchy Blues, I talk about the part of it that was tied to my diagnosis with having multiple sclerosis, right? I think that any person who's, who has any decency in them when you are reminded of your mortality it starts making you question who you've been right not not just who you've been but who you've been in comparison to who you want to be and how you want to be remembered you know multiple multiple sclerosis was something that i I got diagnosed with at 24 and and i had to investigate right i had to interrogate how i stood in the world in case i'm not here right and i realized i was like you know because i think people always assume especially young people that they're that they're omnipotent, right? Like a lot of young people assume that. And I got a wake-up call very early. Um so I started doing the work to kind of be like, look, I don't have forever, but I can build something that lasts way beyond me. And I try to do that whether it's in a book or a or, or a campaign to help people or or even a Twitter post, right? It could be something as simple as that. So I think that's one part of it. And then the other parts, I think one, as horrible as social media is it has given me the chance to connect with people from all over walks of life, perspectives, so on and so forth. People like yourself, where it's just like, I'm reaffirmed on certain things and challenged on certain things. Like I'll, you know, I'll see you post something. I'm like, mm, the brother's right there. Right. And I'm just like, let me think about that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm considering, but social media also gave me an opportunity to be in space with people and particularly the black trans community and trans women very specifically um, and, and seeing how trans women who are the most oppressed group in our world, right, black trans women specifically like how they had to both strive to find their happiness and joy and healing in a world where everything is set against them because they're facing the intersectional oppression of transphobia patriarchy white supremacy, capitalism and to watch them And the radical love and courage that they have absolutely changed me.
1: You know, to that, to that end, you know, like what, what does practical, and I'm not, I'm not going to use the word allyship because I feel like, again, it's been hijacked and bastardized and frankly run into the ground a bit. What are, what are ways that cishet black men can better support, uplift and protect black trans women from your perspective as a cishet man um who is who is deep in this space and 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 on your own journey
0: i i think honestly we have to parallel some of the things that we've been preaching in anti-racism right like actually holding ourselves and others accountable would be number one you know like there's that's one thing i one thing i'll say in my friend groups is I don't stand for transphobia, right? I don't stand for homophobia. I, don't, I don't, And when I say I don't stand for those things, it is if you make a mistake, I will try to help you along the way of how I had to be helped and learned on my own. But when you're trying to create harm, that is my cut off. I'm not going to let you harm this community purposefully, right? And also, I have to make sure that I'm interrogating the ways I exist, I benefit from, and I cause harm. Every single day, right? I think a lot of people, when they want to be, quote, unquote, allies, this is one of the problems with allyship, allyship is something that people say to check a box, right? Like, oh, uh, I bought a book about Marsha P. Johnson, so I'm an ally to the trans community. Says who? Says who? What do you do? This ain't no, you're not going to undo hundreds and thousands of years of oppression by buying no book, watching no documentary. So I think the first step for Cishet Black Men is how are you creating space in your life on a consistent and regular basis to do the work, right? And the work looks like different things. It looks like donations to organizations. It looks like protests. It looks like um, holding people accountable, holding yourself accountable. It looks like actually leaning into love, empathy, and 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 friendship. Quite frankly, um, for the community, like actually being around these people and be like, I got you, right? Like I saw so one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen was um, a few months back. there was a black trans woman uh, who was walking in uh, the West Village. And somebody has said something to her. I can't, I wasn't around, I wasn't close enough to hear what, what they had said, but it was something horribly transphobic, I'm sure. And I saw the black trans woman, she started arguing with this guy who's with his friends. So I'm walking over there and I'm, you know, I'm ready to say something. I'm, I'm i mean, not to be problematic, but I'm ready for war. You know what I mean? Like I stand by this, you know what I mean? I'm, right. And I'm like I said, I'm I'm from, you know, I'm from Yaakus. I don't I don't play that. So like, <laughs> um, but as I'm on my way over there, Two other black men came over to have this black trans woman's back, right? Yes dope. yes, dope. And I'm like, oh, okay, there's hope. Because we have we have collectively not even knowing each other in our own individual spaces decided this doesn't happen around me. And I think that's what it has to be. This doesn't happen around me.
1: You know, um, since we're here again, like we're to to set black men in other in talking about other spaces i i want to give you a little bit of space to talk to me about why white feminism is so trash like talk to me about like you you know like i I, i've had these conversations actually you shared a story so i'm gonna give you a story back you actually supported my kickstarter like a couple years ago um like you promoted it and you actually you gave to it as well um, I can give I give some updates offline about that actually because we are about to launch something really dope next week. But anyway, or whenever this airs, will probably be launched by then. But anyway, point is, I remember that like, um, you know, donation like not donate con- contributions to the Kickstarter were coming in right for it. Like they was pouring in. Like we crashed the goal, um, and then I got a comment later, like like maybe towards like right when the right when the campaign was about to end, someone said. I heard you. Um, I listened to you. I, I supported this because I I like the premise and your mission. But I went back and listened to some of your podcast, and you talked about how white feminism is white supremacy. And because you said that, I'm no longer going to donate to your Kickstarter. Like I'm not going to support this. I was ready. I was ready. She's like I was ready to. She said I was ready to like give you like a sponsorship and like h- like help you and like connect you with people in my My corporate network but since you since i found that you said that i'm now going to not only retract that but i'm also going to retract my finance this financial commitment that i made to your kickstarter like talk to me about like you know you've written about white feminism um talk to unpack it a little bit for folks who are listening just in terms of why it's problematic um why it's oppressive and 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 what and, and really, what needs to happen with that space?
0: Whew. Well, first of all, I'm going to say I'm sorry that you dealt with that, brother. I think that any of us who have been in any public-facing work um, in progressive spaces um, mm-hmm. have dealt with the the ire of white feminism in some capacity. Um, so white feminism, people have to first and foremost realize that, that white women are white, Right. Like, you know, there's this, there's this, this leaning into like, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, I'm a woman. Absolutely. And you are also white and in our constructs, our social constructs, our political constructs, our financial constructs, so on and so forth, whiteness is king. And only second to that white king is the white queen. Right. There are hierarchies to these things of who has power, who has privilege. Like I think back to some to a situation similar to I think about the situations, right? Let's look at um great one. Let's let's look at Emmett Till, right? Mm-hmm. While Emmett Till was not physically murdered by a white woman, Emmett Till was murdered by white men, those white men were acting on the emotions and as the foot soldiers of white women, or white women, rather, and specifically her tears, right? Like, white women, while they don't have all the power in these constructs, they have oftentimes the second most power. Mm -hmm. But, But through white feminism, and because they are women, and because the patriarchy does exist, and because they are oppressed in their own ways, they have taken that womanhood and used it as not just not just a way to veil their own oppressive nature, but to shield themselves from it right to shield themselves from any accountability for anything And, and you know again, we talked about it earlier with black men, right you are um, you are oppressed, but you can also be someone's oppressor. White women are the same by far and I feel like the danger of white women specifically is their proximity to white men because oftentimes white feminism, unlike intersectional feminism, unlike womanism, White feminism is not interested in equity or equality it's interested in power because it parallels what it has seen men do right so it's not a matter of white mm-hmm. want to level the playing field is white, well and that we want to take the place at the top of the totem pole right and that's mm-hmm. a dangerous thing because you're only you're what you're doing is you're taking and internalizing everything that white men have been And what you're trying to do is be the new white men, right? Like you're not, you're not actually trying to create progress. You're just trying to take up the same space, right? You're trying to change. You're trying to shift the power towards you. And the people who are harmed most by that are black and brown communities, right? Because it doesn't allow, it doesn't allow people to come along with you. Again, unlike intersectional feminism, where intersectional feminists are looking at how to create equity and equality for basically everyone, right? Like, oh, at these in these intersections, we're looking at toxic masculinity, we're looking at transphobia, we're looking at uh, homophobia. That is not what white feminism is interested in. I, could, I think you could see it, especially with the conversations around bodily autonomy following the Roe v. Wade leak, where a lot of white feminists are angry that people are using terms like birthing people, right? Because the reality of it is, if a person is a trans man, um, they oftentimes have reproductive organs, right? Unless they have had transitional surgery to change that, but they they oftentimes can still have reproductive organs, meaning that that is a man who can give birth. Meaning that not only women can give birth, but because that that is an inclusive narrative, that is an inclusive conversation that draws upon more than just the victimization of white women specifically they don't they're not interested in that conversation they're actually opposed to that conversation very similar to how white men are opposed to any conversation about progress of anybody else but themselves
1: that's why you be selling them books dog. for real (laughs) talking that talk on here um fred look man it's always a pleasure you know you're a friend of the show um you're welcome back anytime the book is called patriarchy blues phenomenal read empowering uh, challenging read but empowering at the same time and uh man i just want to thank you again uh look man it can't let this like we talked off off mic uh last time we spoke i think my my baby was like you know a couple months old man let's not let it be too long till we talk again yeah man
0: we're not doing that again because i think now more than ever especially um you know people who who find healing and and soft places to land in these days gotta be in those places more often like just we we be too on the same page not to connect more so um i hold myself accountable so as soon as we jump over here i'm about to i don't even know if you have my number like we need to be texting on a regular basis and just kicking it so That's i'm gonna so message you like literally in the next few minutes
1: i got you dog i appreciate you man let's talk soon
0: absolutely bro love to y'all over there
1: hey man love to you too peace later And we're back. Yo, shout out, Fred Joseph. Shout out to the family. Um, You know, man, thank you so much for all the work you're doing. Shout out to Patriarchy Blues. If you haven't uh, copped, reserved, ordered, make sure you click the link in the show notes. Get to that. It's a phenomenal read, challenging, uh, transparent, honest, accessible. And I would just challenge, you know, if you're a, a, a black person or a brown person, a brown, black or brown man. Listening to this, I want you to challenge yourself and ask yourself, what are ways that you can divest from the patriarchy to be a better advocate and ally to women, particularly black and brown women? What does it look like for you to leverage your relative privilege and power to be a sponsor, uh, to be a champion, to be a voice, to be an advocate, even if that means you not being definitely and if that means oh, excuse me and call it out even if that means you not being in the foreground like how can you do that without having to hog up the spotlight right like that's the question i leave for y'all and i'm gonna tell y'all go ahead and give apple uh podcast a visit or in corporate give us five stars in the review you know what i'm saying make sure you check out our merch make sure you check out the website it's super fire create your profile, select the topics you're interested in. You'll get a curated experience, recommendations of content based on our library of over 1500 pieces of uh, digital media, 1500 and growing shoot. By the time this thing, maybe it's like 1800 at this point. I don't know, but it's growing. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to y'all soon. Right? So <laughs> next time, peace. Living Corporate is brought to you by Textio. Today's top talent is everywhere, representing everyone, and our work environment should reflect the level of inclusion to meet that standard. Textio achieves this in building more equitable company cultures through the language we use in our job postings. That culture is formed one hire at a time, making the words we use to reach more diverse candidates all the more important. Our advanced language insights and employer brand content is what drives our mission of inclusion. Through our industry-leading application of artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're able to widen companies' reach in finding and building upon the very diverse talent that empowers a culture of belonging. Every door should be open to every qualified job seeker. Again, that's Textio.